And everybody said? All right. Are we awake this morning? I, you know, I think this early service, you're the early spiritual crowd, but I think what we had to do is just kind of get up and do some calisthenics just to wake up a little bit. It's, it's been cold out in the morning. I looked out this morning. I would get up on Sunday morning at 530, and uh, it was 40, 48 degrees. For us Californians, that's pretty cold, right? <laughs> but I'm really glad that you're here. And if you're with us online, we're just so glad part of our MVCC family. Uh, we're in a new series. We're in the Gospel of Luke, uh, but we're kind of mapped it out in a different series, and this one, which I'll get to in just a second, I'm totally excited about, called Don't You Dare. So we'll get to that in just a moment. If you have your Bibles, you want to make a note, Luke 18, 9 through 14 will be in that section in just a little bit. Um, I wanted to just say, again, if you're with us for the first time, as Pastor Brian mentioned, we're just really, really glad that you're here. And if you want some more information about MVCC or what this thing is all about, uh, maybe stepping into faith, uh, you can get all that information from some folks in the back. And also, if you've been here for a while and think, you know, I think I'd like to make MVCC my church home, my spiritual place, my family, my home. I want to plant some roots here and really grow in faith. Um, today, right after the service, uh, second service at 12.15, we have what's called Starting Point. It's a lunch. For, it's about 45 minutes, and we just get an opportunity, really, to kind of get to know one another. We share, you know, what God's given us here as far as a vision and how you can really be a part of that. And so that's, uh, and everybody's welcome. There's still time. You can get in on that, and you can do that at Connection Point right after the service. When I first gave my life to Christ, um, man, my whole life like changed overnight. It was the most incredible, radical thing that ever happened to me. And so with that, I was fortunate enough to be in a place where in a church, um, actually Missionville Christian Church, I was a teenager, about 17 and a half years old. My youth pastor at the time, he kind of just put his spiritual arm around me and uh, he was kind of like a big brother to me. And um, he taught me about, you know, following Jesus, and he taught me the Bible, and I was involved in his youth group. And that time of that one-on-one was amazing. I look back on that now, and I think, gosh, that was absolutely a privilege to have someone that was willing to kind of walk alongside me. Um, I was watching this new thing on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called um, Breakpoint. It's about professional tennis players. It is so good. And uh, what I've noticed about that is that both men and women, singles and doubles in America, all over the world, in fact, world tennis, every player has a coach. They have not got to a place where they say, I've arrived. I'm good enough now. I'm number, even the number one in the world has a coach. And so we kind of got to talking about that. As you know, that's part of our, our passion, our vision is we want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord. And so um, Pastor Scott is our discipleship pastor, and I'm doing an incredible job of helping kind of set a pathway for us so that when you give your life to the Lord or rededicate your life to the Lord or maybe some folks looking for a church home, we don't want you just to come and sit in and out of a service. We want to help you walk with the Lord every day. And so Pastor Scott, we put our heads together as a team, and you know we've all kind of had that discipleship mentoring Uh, experience. And we want everyone to have an opportunity not just to walk through that, but maybe you're sitting here going, you know, I'd like to pour my life into somebody else's life. We're calling something, uh, it's called D12. I'm going to just give it over to Pastor Scott. He's going to share about his plan to help us walk through this. And I know um, it's very exciting. Thank you, Pastor Scott, for giving us a moment. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Good morning. What, what Pastor Mike just described there about having someone who stepped in alongside him in his journey to make an intentional one-on-one investment to help him grow is more important than I can possibly communicate in the few minutes that I've got. But I'll just say this. The people who study these things and research these things say that amongst the people who report that 10, 20, 30 years down the line since they first met Jesus, that 10, 20, 30 years down the line they're doing well and their spiritual life is thriving, they share this trait in common. Along the way, there was a person who made a one-on-one investment into their life and into their spiritual growth and who helped show them the way to learn how to follow Jesus. That's so critically important. And so that's part of what we want to be as a church, disciples who make disciples. And so I'm really excited. We're getting ready to launch kind of our pilot program for what we're calling D12. And D12 is simply a one-on-one discipleship experience. We have uh, any 
one-on-one discipling kind of experience and mentoring type experience is made up of three components, right? It's made up of a person who says, this is my time. I need to go. I'm ready to take huge steps forward and learn how to follow Jesus. That's one thing. The second component is this. Somebody who says, I will help you. I will walk you through these initial stages and help you figure out how that takes place. And then there's a third component which are kind of the objectives and the milestones and the resources that you use to get there. Now, D12, in part, is a collection of 12 discipleship milestones, 12 things that as disciples of Jesus, if we, if we figure these things out, we are headed on a great trajectory. And we've got some resources and stuff to help process those and understand them and grow into them. But if it's just resources, we're wasting our time. As part of this pilot program, I am looking for... Two different kinds of people. And I'm hoping to set up a minimum of 12 each, but if we can blow that out of the water and double it, that'll be fantastic as well. But I'm looking for 12 people who know right today, uh, on January 22nd, in the year 2023, it's my time to step into really figuring out what it is to follow Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm coming to understand, but I want to turbocharge my growth by being intentional and growing in my understanding, growing in my character, and growing in the habits that are necessary to maintain a healthy walk with Christ. If that's you, and you want to put some intentional, focused uh, energy into that in this year, this is for you. I'm looking for 12 of you. I'm also looking for 12 of you who say, maybe I've been following Jesus for a while, and and God's made a deposit in me that it's time for me to share with somebody else. Maybe I don't know what to teach them or how to teach them, but I'm willing to be used if somehow there was a set of materials and resources and a structure that could help me do that. 12 people who would say, I'm ready to mentor someone who's willing to grow. If you are either of those kinds of people, I want to talk to you on February 8th. We're holding an information meeting for D12. And I just need to know that you're coming. You can go to the website uh, on your phone or on the app. You can go back to Connection Point, and they can get you registered for that. When you register, you just, you're just going to let me know which, which one of those two people are you, right? Are you the person who says, I'm ready to grow if somebody will help me? Or are you the person who's saying, I'm ready to help someone if they're ready to grow? And then on, on February 8th, that's a Wednesday night, We're going to talk more about the nuts and the bolts and the structure and everything else. But mostly, this can be a year in which, in unprecedented ways, we become a church that is being disciples, who are making disciples, who are then empowered to disciple other people along the way. And I am so excited. So take the opportunity. Register. If you have other questions, please come find me. I will be around. I'll answer any question that I can. And if I don't know the answer, I'll make something up on the spot and it'll be all good. And then mostly we'll see you on February the 8th. Make sure to register. Thank you. Sweet. Thanks, Pastor Scott. I am excited about this. I have a 82-year-old mentor in my life. About six years ago, I came up to him and said, hey, I need some mentoring just as a dad and just trying to put life together and as a husband and all this stuff living here in South County, will you meet with me regularly? And so he's been doing that with me. It's been awesome. And so uh, we're all in this together. We want you to dive into this. I think it's going to be great. Thank you, Pastor Scott, for, man, your heart is here. I know you and Rochelle love the Lord. You love MVCC. It's not a job for you. And we're just so glad and wanting to support that. And we're believing for those 12. So some of you don't even need to pray right now. You just know, you know what? I think I want to do this and see um, Pastor Scott right after, right? Um, When I was as mentored, as I was had a spiritual life coach with me, I moved to Hawaii um, about six years after I got saved. My wife and I moved there and lived there for six years. Again, I knew that I needed, if I was going to serve God and do my best and, and do the best that he wanted me to do, I needed someone to help me. So there was a guy that I said, hey, man, um, he's a little older than me in youth ministry at the time. I said, would you come alongside? I I need to learn um, how to do this thing better. And so um, he was doing that. I remember this one afternoon we met over lunch and uh, chili and rice. It was awesome. That's what they have in spam in Hawaii. We have spam in everything in Hawaii. So um, we sat over lunch and I remember I was just, I was having just a tough day, just not feeling effective, not just wondering, you know, God, did I miss your call? Am I supposed to be doing this? And he immediately kid in on that, and I will never forget what he said to me. He said, Mike, you, you, and he was just, he was intense. He was this Polynesian guy, and he just intense about everything. He says, you are a child of God. You are his. You have been called. 
You have been appointed. You have been anointed. You have been sanctified. You have been made holy. You have already been made righteous. You are his child. You are his. And nothing, not even the devil himself can take that away. Secondly is I know that you've been called. You cannot forget that you have been called by God to serve him. And this is what he said. It's not about you. It's not about your ego. It's not about how you feel. It's about living up to the calling that God has given you. And here's what I took out of that. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Dare let the enemy tell you that you're something that you're not. Don't you ever let the enemy tell you that you are not his child because of his grace and mercy. And you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're saved, man. You are, you are one of his and nothing, nothing will ever change that. I will never forget those words. They ring in my spirit. Whenever I have a moment where I'm questioning or I get down on myself or feeling insecure, I will never forget any just scripture after scripture after scripture. And I'm grateful that I had someone in my life. That's what this series is about, man. Jesus was embarking on his last quarter of his life here on earth. It was an intense moment teaching-wise. And what he's going to share with us today, I believe, can be life-changing. Do you believe that with me? Father in heaven, we just ask that as we now we open the word, this whole service, God, is for you. We're not focused on any one person, not focused on anything other than you, Jesus. So I pray, God, your Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment. We want so much for you to move us, God. Challenge us. Make us feel uncomfortable a little bit, God. Move us to a new place, God. Move the needle over just a little bit so that we might be passionate followers of Christ. Not just by emotion, but by obedience and action. Passionate about you. Passionate about people. And God, we love you and we thank you for loving us for free, God. If there's anyone here today, Lord, I pray that walk away with one thing and say, God, you love us and you have a plan. And we trust you in that plan. In Jesus' name. And everybody said together, I want to do something a little bit different before we read the text this morning. I wanted to share with you about a family that had a life crisis. There was a father who lost interest in his wife, unfortunately, and his two children. And so he walked away into the arms of another woman. This was obviously traumatic in this family's life. His family tried to communicate Weeks and months and even years after, but he wouldn't respond. He absolutely just shut himself out. So one day, Kimberly wrote her father a letter. The letter came to her father in a stack of mail while he was at work. He opened it at his lunch hour because he saw the return address. Kind of thought of it incidentally, but then he opened it and here's what it said. Dear Daddy, it's late at night and I'm sitting in my bed writing to you. I wanted to talk to you, but it just hasn't happened. Dad, I realize you're dating someone else, and I know that you and Mom may never get back together. And that's why it's so hard to accept, especially, that I may never come home and be, you may never come home and be an everyday dad to me and Brian. Mom didn't ask me to write this. I just wanted you to know what's going on in our lives. I wanted to share with you what I've been thinking I feel like our family has been riding in a really nice car for a long time. You know the kind of car you like, Dad? The kind that had not a scratch on the outside and not a scratch on the inside. But over the years, the car has developed some problems. Sometimes it gets a little smoky and the wheels seem like they're out of alignment. And there are a few tears in the seat covers. But it's still a great, great car. Might last us many more years with a little more work. Since we got the car, I remember Brian and I sitting in the back seat while you and mom sat up front. We really felt secure with you driving and mom beside you. But last month, mom was at the wheel, and it was nighttime, and we turned the corner near our house and suddenly looked up and saw another car coming toward us out of control, heading right for us. Mom tried to swerve out of the way, but the car still smashed into us, and the impact of that accident sent us flying off the road into a lamppost. The thing is, Dad, just before we hit, we could see that you were driving the other car. We saw something else. Sitting next to you was another woman. Such a terrible accident. We were rushed to the ER. But when, when we asked where Dad was, nobody knew. We are still not sure where you are, and if you're hurting, 
and if you need help. Mom was really hurt. She was thrown into the steering wheel, broke several ribs, and one almost pierced her lungs and even pierced her heart. When the car wrecked, the back door slammed into Brian, and he was covered with cuts from the glass, shattered his arm, and now he's in a cast. But that's not the worst of it. He's still in so much pain and shock that he doesn't really talk much and doesn't play with anyone anymore. As for me, I was thrown from the car. I was stuck out in the cold with my right leg broken, and as, lay, as I laid there, I, I, I couldn't move. Didn't know what was wrong with mom or Brian. I was hurting so much myself, I couldn't help mom. There have been times since that night I wondered if any of us would even make it. Even though we were getting better, we are still in the hospital. The doctors say I'm going to need a lot of therapy, knowing that they can help me get better. But I really wish that you were the one that was helping me instead of them. The pain was so bad, but what's worse is that we all miss you so much. Every day we wait to see you if you're coming to visit us in the hospital, and every day you don't come. I know it's over, but my heart would explode with joy if somehow I could look up and see you walk into my room. At night at the hospital, when it's really quiet, they push Brian and I into mom's room, and we talk about you. We talk about how much we love driving with you and mom and wish you were here with us now. Are you all right? Are you hurting from the wreck? Do you need us like we need you? If you need me, I'm here. I love you, Dad. Your daughter, Kimberly. So when he received this letter, what he thought was an incidental letter coming through the mail, he realized how badly the wreck was that he had caused. And he fell to his knees and returned to his family. The power of a story. The power of a story at the right moment in somebody's life can change somebody's life. And I just wanted to come by this morning to remind us that the greatest story teller who ever lived was Jesus. Now I understand why he told over 20 parables throughout the Gospels, because he knew that they were windows to catch somebody's heart where then he could speak truth. And most of the time, his truth was about healing and wholeness. I don't know if that story maybe resonates with some of you, of maybe, maybe parents who have divorced have been through something like that. But before I read the text this morning, and I thought about this all week, I thought about just kind of doing what, I've heard 10 sermons on this text, and I thought, well, if I just get up and read it, most of you probably would be thinking about, you know, we got In-N-Out Burger after this, and... We really need to do Chick-fil-A with the kids, and I got stuff to do at home, and kind of need to get through this. I want you just to imagine something with me before we read the story that Jesus told so many that were looking into the eyes of God in that moment in those dusty streets. In the city where Jesus was, walking in the streets with people that were hurting and were confused about life and had questions and just needed something, needed some help, and all kinds of troubles and traumas and issues that people had. Jesus was right down there in the street. He was just real with people, and he loved everyone. I just want you to see with me kind of a makeshift swap meet, small kind of flea market down the streets because they heard that Jesus was coming into town, and some people wanted to take advantage of that moment because they knew when Jesus came into town, there were crowds everywhere. Do you remember we read in chapter 13 that people literally were trampling over one another because they wanted just to touch Jesus or be around him? I just want you to see a bunch of tables that are laid across the side, subtly but ever so prominent with people that are called tax collectors. These are the folks that are despised. They are hated in society. Long lines on the outskirts of where Jesus was of people in the census and ready to pay their taxes. 
These people were known for cheating, lying, stealing, and just being dishonest. They worked for Rome, the Roman government, and yet they were Jewish, so they were hated by everyone. They were kind of seen as the traitors. And now I just want you to see that scenario with me, with the 12 disciples and many others that were following Jesus that are just looking and listening to his words. And then he tells them this story. So Jesus told a story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everybody else. So two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like these other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, oh God, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified, just as if I never sinned before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee was known by everyone. They were the separated ones. They were the religious types. They were the ones that were identified not only by what they wore, but what they carried in their hand. The scriptures, the phylacteries, these, they would wear literally on their wrist and on their forehead, and they would go to the wailing wall, and they would pray so everybody would see them. The Pharisees were the ones that would go three times a day because they were required by law, but they were also there praying out loud, loud, repetitious kind of prayers because they wanted to be seen by everyone. They fasted two times a week, Mondays and Thursdays, which interestingly enough were the same days that they had the swap meets because they wanted everybody to see them fasting and praying. Tithed in front of everyone. They didn't just give 10% of their income. They went up to the uh, colanders where they were set up in front of the temple and they brought their loud coins and dropped them one by one so everyone would hear what they were giving. They would eat a meal according to the law by washing their hands, which is what God said in the word. But the problem with these guys, that they would set up extra rules, and they would say you need to wash your hands a certain way. So it wasn't just washing hands before a meal, which really kind of see its logic and common sense that God set up these 613 laws in the Old Testament because he wanted cleanliness. He wanted to make sure the camp Israelite people were being cleanly in what they were doing so that no disease would, would infiltrate the camp and 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 work against the plan of God to bring Jesus into the world. So you can see why God set all these laws up. They were for a help, not a hurt. And yet these guys were so evil, they were so arrogant, they were so egotistical, they were so about themselves that they would take a law that God said and they would make up 10 other what they would call oral traditional laws. And they said, if you don't wash your hands a certain way, a certain time of the day, a certain side of your arm, the way that you wash, they would... They would excommunicate you and and put all these rules and regulations on you. It was a terrible atmosphere in that day to be a religious person because you were so racked by all these rules and man-made rules. It was religion. Religion kills, but relationship with God brings life. Rabbi Simeon was actually recorded as writing these words down back in the day. There are only two kinds of righteous men in the world. I and my son are the two. And if only one, I am he. Wow. Notice when we read this story. I, I just, do you see the tax collecting booths there? I want you to see one of them where his eyes, and he stood up from his booth as he overlooked over the shoulders of those that were paying their taxes because he heard that Jesus, Jesus was there. And he heard that this might be God in flesh. 
That he's different than anyone else. He's sent from heaven. There's something when you're around him, you feel God. You hear God. You see God when you're around him. There's something different about him. And so I just imagine him stepping over the tax collecting booth on his tippy toes because he wants to see over where Jesus is. And as he hears this story, there's something that resonates with this guy. There's something that, that, that in the heart of where he lives, he's been longing. He's been longing for God, and he's figuring out that living for the world isn't working for him. Now, this publican, as we said, is not just despised, but hated. There was a head tax, a custom tax, and overcharged on purpose. And he pilfered his pockets with anyone that would come and line up to pay their taxes. I just, there's three things that I see here out of this that's so simple. We see two men in one location, each man's posture, and we see each man's behavior, which is extremely, extremely polar opposite. There are two kinds of prayers, isn't there? There's a haughty prayer, and there's a humble prayer. Well, I needed that. That's probably just good enough for us to go right now. There's sometimes I come into God's presence and I kind of feel sometimes like, God, you didn't do this for me or you're not moving fast enough. And I come to God with a haughty spirit like, I declare this, I want this, you need to do this, God. And I could give you 10 reasons, God, why you need to do this. That's haughtiness, that's egotistical, that's, that's treating God as an errand boy. God is not my errand boy. I am here to serve him and simply bring my request to him and I wait upon his answer. I wait upon him. But it must be with a humble heart. We must be at MVCC. If you're a part of our family here and you've signed up and said, we're a part of the team, I I want you to be all in with your heart and all in. One of the aspects of being all in is we're talking about discipleship and being a part of D12 and a life group and really digging in and serving is seeing my community different. And when I see my community different, I'm praying, God, what do you want me to do here about this? If I don't come to God with a humble heart, I may miss opportunities that God wants to do something great with my feeble hands, my heart, my, 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 my mind, everything that God's given me, which is not much. But God, I give it to you so that, God, you can use it to benefit somebody else's life. And most of all, preach the gospel so that somebody might get saved through seeing our feeble service to God. God is a God who wants to be served. He desires to be served. And these two men came to the very same place, but they left extremely different. The publican, the tax collector, has no business even being in there according to the world standards. Everybody's welcome into the house of God. Everybody's welcome to where God is. If they come with a humble heart, God says, come to me. All that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Everybody's welcome. This gospel, this good news is for everyone. Yet the publican, I want you to see, as he came up on the steps, he stood at a distance far away. First time I went to church, man, I sat way in the back because I didn't want to be near God. I didn't feel worthy enough. I knew the things that I had done. I knew my weaknesses. I knew my failures. I knew my rebellious, wicked, blackened heart. I knew the sins that I have committed. And the very first time I went to a place, I said, I'm not going up there. I'm not going in there. That's the best place to be. Everyone is welcome. As tax collector, if he were living today, two men walked into MVCC. One came in and sat down, had been in church all his life. Went through the Sunday school classes back in the day when they had Sunday school, which I never figured out. Why do they call it Sunday school? Why would kids want to go to school on Sunday? But anyway, that's a whole other message. Went to, went to Sunday, memorized all the verses, got all the ribbons was baptized three times, sat down and said, I know exactly what that pastor is going to say because I've heard this before. In fact, I could probably get up and even do a better job than the pastor. He looked over on the left side and he saw someone who was disheveled, smelled differently, and there was alcohol on his breath. The night before, the other man who came into MVCC sat down and didn't feel like he should even be there. It was a horrible night on Saturday night. He screamed and yelled at his wife in a terrible, terrible moment and left mad and 
hooked up with some other guys and they decided to go drinking and it was just a bad night and got into bad behavior. Had no business doing what he was doing, but he was so overrun with so tired of being in this marriage and so tired of arguing and so tired and sick and tired of being tired Yet he remembered that years ago his parents took him to church and he thought when he came home at 3 a.m. in the morning that I've got to make a change but I don't know what to do. I don't have anybody to help me. Maybe I'll go back to church. And people didn't like him because he said one thing and did another. He was cheating on his wife and he was cussing and swearing all the time and then he appeared to be good and he never was good on his, his debts and just people didn't like him in, in, in Mission Viejo. And as he came in, so convicted about how much God loved him and could forgive everything that he'd ever done, he fell to his knees, not even able to look up to where the platform was. He said, oh God, I am so sorry. I need you. Now, which man left justified. The one who was despised the most by people. Now, can I be real honest with you? Because when I read this text and reread it and reread it and reread it and reread it, God, there's got to be some deep meaning here. What does the Greek say? What does it go back to the Old Testament and the Hebrew? And I got to look up these. The message is so simple this morning out of this. One man left with nothing. The other man left with everything. And the lesson is that the way up is down. Of course, the title says, we don't want you to be a hypocrite, right? That's one of the reasons people don't come to church. They won't come to religious organizations or religious gatherings. They won't go, come to your life group. They might not come to something because I don't want to be around people who say one thing and do another. And that's correct. We shouldn't. A hypocrite is somebody who intentionally lives two different lives. It's not someone who makes mistakes because we all do. We all fall back. We all have moments where we just get weak. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people who intentionally live another life and then pretend to live another life on the other side. But really... The more I thought about that is if I was to stand up and say, all right, everybody, MVCC, don't be a hypocrite. Okay, all right, I'm out. Wait a minute. The way up is down. I'm so glad that I'm not like the Pharisee. I have just violated what Jesus asked me not to do. If I find myself, I am so glad that I'm not like that hypocrite. I have just stepped into a place. I'm still saved because of God's grace and goodness, but I have now stepped into a place where God's favor and his working and his power is so minuscule because I moved Because my heart, because I'm egotistical, because I have become arrogant, because I'm thinking I'm all that. Some of us, I will just, can I just open up and be honest with you? Some of us have been in church all our life and we think we are God's gift to what he's doing rather than the other way around. I read this little, little pamphlet years ago, about 20 years ago. It's called Revival Primer. And and this little Revival Primer, it's only about, I don't know, 30 pages. It's, It's so short. I have the scribbles in it and highlighting it, and I still have it to this day. And I pull that thing out and I reread that when I know that when my heart has moved over from God to me, when I become egotistical and arrogant and think that it's all about me and my problems and my issues, and God, I'm your gift to what you're doing, I have been desensitized and stopped living passionately for God, and now I'm living passionately for me. Here's a question I was asking myself as I was working through this. I hope this resonates with you. I wonder about this religious guy. You with me? The Pharisee? What, what, what was his backstory? What was, what was his beginning when he started 
working and serving for God. I don't know, maybe he was a little boy because in that day, in the Jewish culture, you had to hook up with a rabbi who taught you the Old Testament ways. They lived in these little villages and these villages had local rabbis and the, little, the children would go to rabbinical school and all these things. They learned the Old Testament, memorized the books of the Old Testament and it was an intense training. And then some of the rabbis would choose some of those young men that seemed to have a sparkle in their eye. There was a passion in their heart. They wanted to learn more and more and more. It wasn't so much the most educated. It was where the heart was. And I just wonder if this guy at the beginning stages, he signed up with one of the rabbis. He was in the D12. He was, he was discipling him and he had the fire of God in his soul. There was something burning inside of him. He memorized those scriptures. He would follow in the dust of his rabbi through the towns. He would want to be like him. He was following God. And then something happened. As he got older, he thought, I deserve these things. I've worked for these things. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've learned. Look at what God has done through me. And somewhere along the line, he got out of alignment. And I just wonder about that. Because I don't think every person comes out of the womb hypocritical. I don't think they, as little kids learning the rabbinical ways, I don't think they said, well, let's be hypocrites today. I don't think it was like that. I think there was something that started that was pure and was right. And just like us, we can come to Christ with an open heart, a pure heart. And we love God with all our life. And then all of a sudden, we get into church life for years and years and years. And we start thinking we deserve all this stuff. And then we start looking at the world going, well, that's why the world is so messed up, because of them. Because what they're doing, if they just got their act together, if these laws would change, if we get this person in the White House, if we change that, and if government would do this, and we start looking at the world, pointing the finger at them, and what God is saying, I want my people to look at themselves first. When the church changes, when I say church, that's us, folks. You know it's not about the building. We are the church. When the church changes first, society will change one life at a time. People will not be changed by... Laws that will change. Laws are important, but that's not the secret ingredient to making society change. The secret ingredient to society changing and getting more people from this place to this place with God is by a changed heart inside where we are now. And this lesson for me is so simple that this man who didn't, didn't feel worthy enough even to be on the very steps of the temple comes with a heart that says, God, I absolutely need you. I am desperate for you, and I don't deserve to be here. That's where I want to be. That's where I want us to be. I want us to be our posture, to be in a place of humility, because I know God is always attracted to the humble heart. He's always attracted to someone or a group, a life group or a service team or a church. He's attracted to people or one person. He's looking for one person that says, God, I don't have it together. I've messed up. I've been a failure all these years. I need you, God. Will you come in and change my life? I'm willing to do whatever it takes, God, to change, to be more like You, that's what he's looking for. That's when the power comes. The Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you have the Spirit of God. We want you to be activated with the Holy Spirit. And it's not by knowing more, although that's good. It's not by taking more classes, that's good. It's not signing up for all the stuff, that's good. But that's not the secret ingredient is that we as our heart is saying, God, I'm all yours, God. I'm not much, but all I have is yours. That's where I want us to be. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something really hard, really tough. This is a real challenge. You ready? If there's one day you came to church and thought, oh, I don't want to feel like, oh, I need to change. This is not the good Sunday to be here. <laughs> Too late. Pastor Brian, lock the doors. Nobody's getting out of here. All right? Now, here's what. I would never ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. I say that all for all of our pastoral team here, all of our pastors on our team, which, by the way, We are a team. We're not a staff. We don't just get paid to do what we do. We love you. We want you to grow. We want you to be more like Jesus. And sometimes that hurts a little bit because we got to look on the inside. Does that make sense? So I just want to share with you some of the revival primer. I I picked out some highlights. We don't have time to go through all of them. But here's what he says. If you want to experience what that tax collector experienced, he went away righteous. He went away justified. I got to believe that guy went home and he was like freed. There was life change on the inside because of his posture was so different before God. His heart was engaged and he looked at himself rather than others. Let's go through these. Ready? When do I need a revival in my life? 
If, I'm, if you're sitting here thinking, yeah, I love God. I, I'm, I'm trying to do the best. I'm trying to do the best I can, but I'm, I just, I'm missing that passion for getting up in the morning and saying, God, what are you going to do today? How can I engage with what you're doing? How can I experience a once was dead spirit, which is now alive in Jesus Christ? How do I do that? Number one is, mm, maybe I'm not because prayer is ceasing to be a vital part of life. When biblical knowledge is learned only for external fact and not internal change. What do we mean by that? Study, 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 study. More Bible study, more Bible study, more Bible study. Just stay with my little people and never break out and never do anything about what I'm learning. We can get all this knowledge and all these facts and learn so much and be so learned and my library is so big. I'm missing the internal change of what I'm learning. This might, if that hasn't hit you, this one might. When I'm no longer passionately pursuing God's presence on a Sunday morning worship. Well, I just come. Why do you come? Because we've always come. We always do. We just go to church. We just, that's what we did as a little kid. That's why I'm, I'm here. want to make my wife happy. want to make my husband happy. My kids, my kids really need this. So we'll just come and have some coffee. Maybe have a Krispy Kreme donut. I'll just kind of sit in the service. But if I'm not coming with a passionate heart, God, what are you going to show me today? God, I worship you. I just think our, our worship team here, they're working hard. Have you seen that? They're not working because it's not a concert. It's not, they're, they're not doing this because look at me. They're doing this because they're worshiping and they want us to engage with. The whole church is the worship team. We're all part of the worship. And this service is not Pastor Mike. The service is not the worship team. The service is not the, 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 the pastoral team. The service is for you, God. So we are together in this. And if I don't come here with a passionate heart, and that doesn't mean emotional. I'm just saying, God, show me something today. Going to be on time. Going to be here. Because I don't want to miss one song. Because the songs prepare my heart for, God, what you're going to show me today. I might need revival when sports, entertainment, recreation have become number one. Oh, shoot. I was skating through the first three. Why do you have to do this one? <laughs> Truth, right? Truth. Listen, we wouldn't be good shepherds of your souls. We're just here to tell stories and make you feel good. I want change. God wants change. I need to change. We need to change. I'm tired of city of Mission Viejo having like 10% of our people who live in the city go to church. I'm not talking about just going to church. I want life change. I want the whole city change. I want everybody to have an opportunity to know God, not religion, not church, to know God. And how will that happen? Is God going to peel away the sky and speak to everybody? I am God. I love you. Jesus Christ died. He doesn't do it that way anymore. He can, but now he chooses to use people like you and me. You and me. When we desire for Christ's likeness and holiness... Oh, uh, no longer dominating our life. I don't think, gosh, Lord, I just want to be more like you. If that's not a passion in my life, I got a problem. I need to be on my knees. Let's keep going with a few more of these. When the chasing of money is dominant in life. More money, more money, more money. We got to get the house. We got to get the boat. Got to get the vacation house. Got to get more money, more salary. There's nothing wrong with working hard and making money. What are we doing with what we have and what we make? We're managing it God's way. If this is the dominant thing, oh man, I gotta work the stock market. Gotta look at this Wall Street Journal every day. I gotta wake up. What's the stock doing? What's Bitcoin doing? And if we can get so consumed with all that and we get drifted away and all of a sudden the world is number one and Jesus is no longer one. All right, should we keep going or should we just go home? All right, thanks, Roger. I'll keep going. When one mouth, I mouth religious songs without heart. Oh, I mean, I have to sing. Can I just say, singing is a manly thing. Jesus was a man. He worshipped. He told us to praise him. I can be sitting right over here with my, with my, my, my guys here on team, and I can be just thinking about 10,000 things. I'll be honest. Sometimes I'm thinking about I got to go home and do stuff at my house. I got to make sure my wife's got what she needs. I got these things. We got a 5 o'clock thing. But all of a sudden, when the, when the song starts hitting, it's not all magic. But when I start engaging my heart and start singing, even if you don't sing well, it's okay. I, don't, I can't sing a note, but I love to sing to God. God knew what he was doing. That's why he said, I want you to praise me. Sing a new song because he knows that something happens here when we do something in here and we sing out loud. Lord, I love you. Lord, you're the... Come on. Come on. 
Lord, I love you. You can stomp your feet a little bit. You can clap your hands. You can move a little bit, right? David danced in the city streets because he loved God. He didn't care who was looking at him. That was King David back in the Old Testament. When I become content with the lack of spiritual power in my life. Oh, well, that's just for some people. The power of God is for the heavyweights. Those are for pastors, people who get paid. That, that's where God really is strong in the pastors. Uh-uh. That's for everybody. When I just get content with, eh, that's where I am. When I'm striving for worldly happiness. It's just a few more here. When I adjust happily to the world's lifestyle and think nothing of it. When injustice and human misery takes place and I do nothing. When the world's condition declines around me and there's nothing moved in my heart to action. When I'm willing to cheat my employer or employee and nobody will know. When I know I'm saved by God's mercy and grace and marvel at my own godliness. Oh, we may not say those words. Nobody here would ever say that. But we start thinking that, don't we? Well, I serve. I get here early. I do things on, during the week. I serve children. I serve the homeless. I, 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 I. Gosh, I thought it was Christ in me, the hope of glory. I thought it was Jesus doing those things through us. So he gets all the credit. He gets the glory. But how quickly we can move to thinking about us, right? When my tears are dried up and they are replaced by coldness and callousness. When I know there are lost people, I'll tell you what, this is the one that hurts my heart the most. When I know there's lost, I know there's lost people all around me in my life. And it doesn't even faze me. Now, I didn't bring these up to make you feel guilty. I brought these up because this is where God starts moving. When we acknowledge God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Even just one of these. Where is God really? We know he's in heaven. But he's powerful in here. And I dare you, I dare us to get on our knees. God, I just thank you for reminding us and it's not about us. And God, we know the phrase, it's all about you, but God, we really want change this morning. We really want change now. Now's the time, God, I'm asking for us, God, to really take a look at these revival primers. Help us to approach you, God, in the same way that the tax collector approached you, not feeling worthy. God, you were so powerful in that moment. We've heard, and now, God, we want to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what I I thought would be good for us to do, and I've been praying about this all week. I, I know we normally have communion right now, but I just want to ask that before we do that, I'd just like to ask anyone and just invite anyone that would like to come up to the front and just kneel down on the carpet and just in your own heart, in your own spirit, if any one of these 19 things, if any one of these resonate with your heart, I just want to ask us to come down and just let God deal with us. You can just step out from where you're at and just come and kneel. There's something about physically when we kneel with the Lord there's something that happens here. Listen, it's, it's, no one's looking at anybody else. This is not about, this is all about God in this moment. A church that's on their knees praying is a powerful church. That's where God says, I will land on my people. I will land on that situation. I will land on your heart. It's going to give us just just a few couple of moments of just silent silent prayer.
say to you once again, God, have mercy on us. Forgive us, Lord, of ever thinking that we're better than anyone else. Or we stepped into a place where we think we've arrived. And we just confess to you, God, that, oh, Lord, just clean us out this morning, Lord. Clean our heart out. Right before we, we have this moment of taking communion with you and remembering the greatest meal of all, the very last one that you had with the men that you asked to follow you. God, it would be a privilege for us to be in your presence in the same way. And we recognize we don't deserve that. Oh God, but if you would accept us, that's right where we want to be. I thank you for our church family. I thank you for this incredible church at MVCC. And I pray, God, in this moment, as we are just humbling ourselves before you, that when we leave today, God, we will leave differently than when we came in. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. In the seat back in front of you, there are some uh, emblems there, some juice and some bread, and we just want to offer to everyone who would like to, if you're a a believer in Jesus Christ, we just invite you to have this communion time with him to remember what he did. It's always about the cross. It's always about him. And so we invite you just to take a moment, have some communion with him. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.